Well, good morning, friends. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. We are in a series this summer, and we're looking at women in the Old Testament. And as I was preparing for this message this morning, I kept thinking, how do these women that we're looking at in the Old Testament story point us toward Jesus? And I was drawn to two prominent women in God's big story out of the book of Genesis, chapter 29. And the two women that we're going to be looking at this morning are Leah and Rachel out of Genesis 29. Now, when we're moving through these stories and we're looking at stories in the Old Testament, it is imperative to remember that these stories are connected to one large story. They're part of a bigger story that we call the big story of God. And these stories are not disconnected from God's big story in the biblical narrative. These stories are deeply connected and rooted in what God desires and what God dreams for humanity and for the world itself. And if I could capture God's dream, God's desire, God's mission for our world, I would capture it with this statement, that God desires to bring about healing and salvation to the world. Not only to you as an individual, but to us as a community and to the world around us. God desires to bring about healing and salvation. And throughout the biblical narrative, what you're going to see is God's pattern of his fidelity to that promise in spite of Israel's infidelity. That's the pattern that you'll see all the way up and then it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. So the story begins in Abraham's life. It begins in Genesis chapter 12 through two main characters in God's big story, Abraham and Sarah. And God comes to Abraham and Sarah and essentially says this, and I'm paraphrasing. He looks at them and says, do you see all the chaos in the world, the brokenness, the disconnection happening in humanity, the broken fabric of life itself? I'm going to do something about that. I'm not a God who sits back in the distance. I come down and I move into the chaos, but I want to partner with you as people. And what I want to do is I want to bring about healing and salvation through your family line. And through your seed is going to come the son of promise that eventually will culminate in the son of promise later in the story. So Abraham and Sarah experience a miraculous birth and they bring Isaac into the world. Isaac then, later in life, meets a woman named Rebecca, and Isaac and Rebecca get married, and they have twins, Jacob and Esau. The author of the story tells us that Esau comes out first, and as Jacob is coming out second, he grabs the heel of Esau. So the author thinks it's important for us to know this little detail. And what's happening here is we're already seeing sibling rivalry happening in the big story of God, which again is another theme that you're going to see throughout the story. So Jacob comes into the world with a desire to be first. And he's ridden with jealousy and envy, and eventually it turns into deceit. And Jacob's entire trajectory in life is marked by deceit for the next 140 years. That's quite a legacy. And as they move through the story, 
Jacob's desire to win, to be first, to accomplish, turns into deceit. He ends up deceiving his father and stealing what is called the birthright that was supposed to go to Esau, the firstborn son. So according to tradition, the father would give a birthright blessing to the firstborn son. This was supposed to be given to Esau. Jacob deceives his dad, steals the blessing, and now we have something else added to the family dynamic. Lots of dysfunction going on in the family of God. So Rachel catches wind of what Esau plans to do because Esau makes a plan and vows to kill his brother after their father dies. And so Rebecca comes to her son Jacob and says, you need to flee. You need to get out of here. You need to run away to a faraway land. And so she sends him away and she says, I want you to go live with my brother Laban. So off goes Jacob and he's on a journey. And he meets up with Uncle Laban, and this is where we pick up the story. So I'm going to read this particular portion of the story that's embedded in a bigger story, but I want you to listen to the story and see what God is pointing us to in this story. It begins in chapter 29, verse 14. Follow along with me. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. All right, pay attention to the details of the story. What do you mean Leah had weak eyes and sister Rachel was beautiful? Well, this is a Hebrew idiom. It's a way of saying Rachel is more desirable in form, figure, and looks than her sister Leah, which points to a pain in the story of these two sisters. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Do you feel the mush in the story? Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her like any son-in-law would say to a father-in-law. <laughs> my father-in-law, I think, is watching this right now. Don't feel that, Dennis. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. Now, at this point in the story, you're going, what in the heck is going on? Lots of alcohol consumption at a wedding feast. You put the two together, okay? When morning came, there was Leah. I love the old King James Version because it says, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> yes. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? I've served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Uh-oh, the deceiver is now on the return end of being deceived. Do you feel the irony? in the story. 
Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. You know that. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. All of this sounds really healthy. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. And this is the first sermon that you want to preach, John, at Ascent Community Church. <laughs> yes. Initial con uh, observations about what's going on in the text. Leah is experiencing a deep wound. It's right there in the text. Not hard for us to see. Deep pain. And we hear it in her agony. And Leah is trying to construct ways, come up with plans, mechanisms to cope with that deep pain. And for her, she wants to attach. She wants to be seen. She wants to be heard, which is just very much a deep human need. I remember a quote from Brené Brown out of her book, her book, Daring Greatly, in which I think she nails this whole idea of deep connection. And she says... Connection is why we're here. We are hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives, and without it, there is suffering. And many of you in the room know what we're talking about. In near ancient culture, the Eastern culture in which Leah is coming up, a woman's value and place and purpose in society was all centered around her ability to have children. And in particular to have sons because that carries on the family line from generation to generation. So deeply rooted inside the story, we see pain in Leah, but we also see pain in Rachel because Rachel is childless. We've got two sisters married to the same man we have an uncle throwing them into dysfunction and chaos. And Leah does what so many of us do, coming up with a plan in order to deal with the pain because we're not quite sure what to do with the pain. So in order to manage the pain, we've got to find a way to help us move through it. And she says, if I have children, then I will be. 
right there a very profound statement. And she has a firstborn son, Reuben, and she says, if I have children, then I will be seen. If I have children, then I will be heard. If I have children, then I will be attached. Leah's story is very much a human story because, again, there's this deep primal need that exists in our bones for all of us to attach, to connect, to be seen, to be heard and understood because this is a reminder to all of us that we are wounded as human beings. All of us in the room carry around a life wound. There's some kind of deep wound and you see it in your story and it comes up from time to time. And if you haven't experienced a deep wound yet, it simply means you haven't lived long enough and you will. Because all of us, no matter of our circumstances, will experience a deep wound. And we will do almost anything to avoid and not feel pain, including hurting others because it's easier to hurt others than it is to deal with our own pain. Are you with me? And many times they begin with, if I, then I. And here's the problem. Sometimes it works until it doesn't. And then when it doesn't, you're faced with a quandary, like what am I gonna do with this now? Because the things that worked in the past are no longer working. Maybe if I come up with different coping mechanisms or I come up with a different plan or if I just shove it down into my body deep enough, I won't have to face it or look at it. Years ago, I remember reading a quote from Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr has been my teacher for the last 20 years of my journey with Jesus. Profound, deep insights in what it looks like to walk with God. But he said something years ago that caught my attention, and I really wish this wasn't true, but I'm afraid that it is. So I wanna share it with you because misery loves company. And he says this, sooner or later, if you are on any classic spiritual schedule, some event, person, death, idea, or relationship will enter your life that you simply cannot deal with using your present skill set, your acquired knowledge, or your strong willpower. Spiritually speaking, you will be, you must be, led to the edge of your own private resources. At that point, you will stumble over a necessary stumbling stone. And I hate that part. To put it bluntly, you will and you must lose at something. And I want you to hear this. This is the only way life, fate, God, mystery can get you to change. To let go of your egocentric preoccupations and go on the further, larger journey. All right. Can we address the elephant in the room for a moment? We would soon rather die than change because there is absolutely no compelling reason that any of us would wanna leave our present comfort zone. Why would we? Why would any of us endeavor into that larger journey? Now, as I walk with God and as I look at people who have gone before me and I look at the trajectory of life and the patterns of life, there are two primary paths that I believe are the paths that lead us to transformation. And those two primary paths can be broken down into great love and great suffering. 
And when I say great love, I mean the kind of love that you experience for another person that is deeply embedded in a self-sacrificial posture in which you would give your last breath for the sake of another And by deep suffering, I mean when we reach the end and our resources and our present skill set no longer works, that brings up the question, now what? Where do I turn? Where do I go? And I want to encourage you this morning. I believe with my whole body and soul that God is committed to our transformation as people. He's committed to it. He's committed to you becoming the person who reflects more Christ-likeness in the world. And he's going to rearrange the furniture and move out walls and do all kinds of things to get us to the place where we get to step into what Richard calls the further, larger journey so that we can fully participate, not only in our own flourishing and our own salvation, that we also get to participate in the healing and salvation of those around us, which is the bigger story that God continues to invite us into. Now, I'll also tell you this. I have never in all my years met anyone who has said to me, it was because of great pleasure in my life that I became more like Jesus Christ. It was because it was my second million. When I made my second million, That led me into maturity and a deeper connection with who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to in the world. It has always been pain. That's the pattern. When we look at the life of Jesus and we say, I want to be like Jesus and I want to follow Jesus and I want to be more like Jesus in the world. And we look at the pattern of Jesus in the world. It is marked by great love and great suffering. And that's the pattern that we get to walk when we say yes to Jesus and to his way, and we fully step into the patterns of walking with Jesus. Now, as we continue on in the story, I want us to look at chapter 30. And if you want to go back to chapter 30 later on this week and see the rest of the story, you feel free to read through that. But in chapter 30, Rachel now steps into the story a bit. And chapter 30 begins by Rachel coming to Jacob. And she says, this is her statement, Give me children or I will die. That sounds like an ultimatum. And it sounds like pain talking. Give me children or I will die. And even in our own stories, when that statement comes up, give me this or else. And we start to negotiate with God. And we come up with our own plan, this transactional plan with God. Give me this or I will not have purpose in my life. And I think what Rachel is doing is what we do is like, how do I make this go away? This pain, this this internal thing that's going on inside of me, how do I make it go away? And Rachel does what we do. She takes matters into her own hands, and then she takes her maidservant, Bilhah, gives Bilhah to Jacob, and listen to what she says. Sleep with her. And Jacob, being the upstanding husband that he is, complies. (laughs) And another son is born, Dan. And out comes Dan into the world. And get this. Dan's name means the Lord has vindicated me and judgment. How about that for a name? Another son is born, Naphtali. And Naphtali means my struggle. This comes from Genesis 30, verse 8, where Rachel says, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. Again, how do I make this pain go away? In Genesis 29, where we concluded the story, we're told that Leah stopped having children. 
So Leah, in an act of self-sacrificial love, by the way, gives her maidservant to her husband, Jacob. So she takes Zilpah, gives Zilpah to Jacob, and then more children are born. And out comes a son named Gad. And guess what Gad means? Happy, blessed. And then Leah's womb opens up and she has another child, Issachar, and Issachar means reward. And she has another son, Zebulun, which means honor and precious gift. And then she has a daughter named Dinah. How's that for a line? She had a daughter named Dinah. And Dinah is a completely different sermon. We're not gonna jump into that this morning, but that's worthy of our time as well, looking into the whole life of Dinah. But we're focusing on Leah and Rachel. And then Rachel finally has her own child. Her womb opens up. She has Joseph, which is a big player in God's big story. And when she has Joseph, what does she say? Give me another one. Because this isn't enough. And so God grants her her desire and she has Benjamin. And out of all of this dysfunction, deceit, manipulation, the need to control, comes the 12 tribes of Israel compelling story, isn't it? When you're like, you guys should read the Bible. It's a really honest human story. And all of this dysfunction, all of this disconnection is how God says, I'm going to bring healing and salvation into the world no matter what happens because I'm so committed to that. Deeper observations in the story. Notice that Leah and Rachel handle their disappointment differently. For Leah, she stumbles over that necessary stumbling stone and reality is looking her right in the face. And instead of ignoring it, instead of trying to go around it, instead of trying to run away from it, she chooses to step into the larger journey. And her fourth child, her fourth son, she names him Judah and something shifts in the story. There's a massive shift. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And I want you to catch this, friends. Leah makes peace with her disappointment and her biography. She makes peace with it. She comes to accept it. I will never have my sister's beauty. I will never have my sister's body. I will never be able to attach to my husband. I will never experience that romantic love that I have craved my entire life. Reality was staring her right in the face and there's no way around it. The only way through is through. So she steps into the larger journey and she poises this posture of surrender. And what we know in the story, because how she starts naming her other children, some kind of significant shift happened. And after Judah, from that point on in her journey, all of life is gift. Do you see that? What shifted? All of life is gift. And then Rachel, she has the same invitation. And instead of stepping into the larger journey, for Rachel, life is competition. Life is about winning. Life is about being first. So she has a son, not enough. So the question comes up for Rachel, like when is enough enough? I've given you this gift. All of life is gift, but for Rachel, it's about a competition between her and her sister. So her wealth is not enough. Her privilege is not enough. Her beauty is not enough. Her child, not enough. 
And when Rachel reaches the end of her life, her life is marked by bitterness and she ends up cursing her son as she dies. And this goes on into future generation after generation. What I want us to look at this morning is look at Leah. She got her life back, friends. She got it back. She named her wound. She accepted that. And she named her wound Judah. And she turned from how to fix it to I'm going to praise. That's a posture of surrender. And to this day, in every Jewish Orthodox home across the world on every Sabbath, Leah's name is used in a blessing when mothers say this over the lives of their daughters. May the Lord make you more like Leah. (laughs) Do you feel that? May the Lord make us more like Leah. That blessing marked her life. Leah was transformed into a woman of great love and great compassion. And let me give you some good news. This took like 30 to 40 years. So don't sit here this morning thinking, okay, I got a year to get my crud together. Not gonna happen. It's a long journey of walking with God. But I wanna go back to this shift for a moment because this is significant. Judah is brought into the world. This time I will praise the Lord. Judah is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah becomes the tribe of Judah. Out of the tribe of Judah comes the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is Israel's long-awaited promised Messiah, which is Jesus Christ, the one that we serve and follow today. Did you catch that? Out of all of this pain, out of misery, comes the long-awaited Messiah, the one that we look to today and say, this is the one who's bringing healing and salvation, not only to our own lives, but to the entire cosmos. It's out of this story that emerges this deep hope that we sang about this morning, that we celebrate this morning. God used Leah's acceptance of the pain of life to bring about the healing and the salvation of the world. Is anybody with me this morning? Right? All of it. Rachel never accepts the invitation. And yet in spite of all of her bitterness and her manipulation and her need to win, God is still faithful. He's committed to his promise to bring healing and salvation into the world. And through Joseph, miraculous things happen. It's not difficult to connect to Leah's story. We grow in Jesus through pain, through our life wound, because we all get wounded. I don't care how smart you are. I do not care how attractive you are. I don't care how normal you are. I don't care how healthy and functional your parents were. You and I all get wounded. And here's the thing. It's that wound that has the greatest potential to grow and mature us into Christ-like love and deep gratitude. Or to put it another way, it's in facing our wound, meeting Jesus in the face of that wound, This is where we experience the most potential 
for transformation and healing. There are things in life and times where your greatest problems cannot be fixed. There are also solutions that are gonna be internal and not external. And I want you to hear this. As your pastor of discipleship, I didn't move all the way from California here to play around. I want to be committed to your transformation, to your growth, as we learn how to walk with Jesus together and step fully into the way of Jesus for the sake of the world around us. And if you need help, you need encouragement, you need listening, you need soul care, I can point you in directions if I'm not able to help you. We have a staff that's committed to your growth and to your maturity and helping you become like Jesus. We wanna see you expand. And our stories will begin to make sense when we live into the larger story of Jesus. This is what Leah did. When you say yes to Jesus, you're stepping into a pattern. And I wanna invite you this morning, if you're here and you're going, I'm not sure I wanna step into that story quite yet, I wanna invite you to move one step closer to the big story of God. Not only for your own healing and salvation, but for the healing and salvation of the world. So let's take a moment before we respond in song. And I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, whatever you're doing in the room, keep doing it. Move on our hearts, move into our bones, meet us in our life wound bring resurrection and healing and help us to see that all along in our journey, you have been faithful. You have been good. You have been so, so good.